walls and stuff, you equate that to crime because that's what it's like in America. But that's actually not what it's like here at all. Everybody is wonderful. They just simply can't afford anything more, you know? Yeah, I always say, like, when you travel, it opens your eyes to so much. It appreciates where you're at and where you're from. Because, like, when you go to another country and you see how they're living, most of them don't even seem upset the way they are. They seem very happy with the little that they have. They're the ones that'll question us, like, why why do you Americans have so many mental health issues? And, you know, they've asked us about that. And, you know, what they see from the outside is that we have everything and it's easily attainable. And so because we have things, it creates problems and we don't see life for what it truly is. And they're like, we don't have time. Like, we just work and we're happy and we're thankful for what we have. And when we heard that the first time, we were just like, holy fuck, like, that's so true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we sold everything to move here. Like, we just brought a large suitcase each and, you know, started a new life. So wow. it's very true. You know, we have nothing, we have no attachments to anything. And that's very freeing. It's uh, very eye opening. And it's actually, it's such a good feeling to know that all we have is, is each other. And when you, just have each other without any other attachments, it's actually really, really awesome. And you can really dive deep into yourself because you're not too, you're not worried about other things. Yeah. Cause like when we die, our possessions don't go with us because every person that I know that died, their stuff is still here, but they aren't. And yep. it's yep. like, what's the point of collecting all this stuff that you can't do right. anything with once you're expired? Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like things are nice to have, obviously, you know, like we all want those things that, you know, are unattainable to some, but, you know, in the end, just like you said, we can't take that stuff with us. And so when you can wipe that stuff away and you realize that you just have each other, things become more beautiful in a totally different sense than what you thought beauty was. So what are like two things you could say that you appreciated back here in America versus where you're at now? Oh, shit. Uh, Yeah, I don't know, because Josh and I are both very um, private's not the word, but we've never needed much. We've Mm -hmm. never been materialistic people. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I'm a girl. I love makeup and purses and stuff. But um, it's actually been more of an enjoyment to be away from the hustle. Um. So I don't know, I guess good ranch, (laughs) like I miss ranch dressing. Mm, (laughs) It's the little things like that, you know, but in the end, I don't know. I don't know that there's much that I miss. I miss winter, like, you know, living in the Midwest, you know, we had all the seasons and I do miss winter, but, you know, we get some cool weather here and that kind of fills my cup for me. Is it hot there? Um, Humid and stuff? Yes. Not all the time. Just basically from, um, I would say March to about May 15th. It's pretty brutal here. Uh, it's gearing up for rainy season. It's very dry. Like everything is dyed, but the humidity is very, very high and it's the hottest temperatures. So that's pretty rough, but it's only a couple months out of the entire year. The rest of the year is just phenomenal. Yeah. We have no AC, nothing like that. Our house is fully indoor, outdoor. Our walls don't even reach our roof. So what's inside is outside and vice versa, pretty much. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we live in the jungle. So we are essentially like one with nature. Like we have accepted all the critters that come around our house, you know, scorpions, spiders, like we live with them, Uh, you know, (laughs) sloths. 
Yeah. You're more braver than I am because I'd be freaking out if I saw a scorpion while I'm taking using the restroom or something, just running around the house. Yeah, they're the I mean, it's not it's not every day, but they are here. But you just realize like they leave you be, you know, unless unless they're scared. They are the one thing that'll probably sting you quicker than other things, but in the end it's because they're scared. They don't know where the hell they're at, you know, they're just yeah. simply trying to find water and that's that's the gist of it. You know, one thing I didn't think about was the fact that there's baby scorpions and they're tiny. They are tiny, tiny, tiny. And their sting is actually worse than the adult ones because they can't control it. They just give you everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they get older, they realize they don't need to give all their venom to sting. They just need to do a little bit to get whatever's scaring them away. It's kind of like y'all's house is in their territory anyway. So they're just kind of coming back where they used to live. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly how we view it. Everything here like we're a guest in this jungle and if you try to believe something else it will teach you that you're wrong um and it's crazy because you don't see that most places but nature and and earth has a way of of reminding you of its strength and here like we have a a big beautiful house the great view but the cleaner ants don't give a shit and they'll take over the whole goddamn house for a couple of hours and kick your ass out as they come through, you know, and that's just the way it works. You just leave them alone. They do their job and they're gone in a couple hours. Yeah. As long as you don't bother them, they do their job, which essentially the reason why they're called cleaner ants is because they sweep through your house basically. And they pull out all the larvae and bugs and, you know, they attack scorpions, they get spiders, they do everything. Once they clean that section out, they, they're just, they go on their way. So if you disturb their trail, that's when they get pissed because they do bite and they do sting. So you can literally live peacefully with them in your house. You just walk over their trail and you just continue about your day. So it's kind of like disrespect their what respect what they're doing. Ah, yeah, 100%. absolutely. Yeah. But I I apparently am allergic because even yesterday I stepped over a cleaning cleaner ant uh, trail and got bit by one and my right stung. foot stung. Yeah, stung by one and my right foot still swollen because of it. Damn. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever live in the jungle. What about you, Doug? Do <laughs> you live in the jungle with the open doors or open inside, outside? Yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. Um, you know, but Josh and I are oddballs anyway. Um, so we love it. The kids love it. They don't mind at all. Keeps you humble, keeps you on your toes, keeps you thankful for what you have, and yeah. What is ice like there? Um, is it non-existent? Like ice, like for cut, like yeah, for your drink, like, like drinking water. Oh no, they it's here. I mean, like you know, we live in a small town. Um, it's a tourist town, so like there's places to find ice. You'll get ice in your drinks and everything. Like it's totally fine. Like we get filtered water we have all that stuff we have a little ice machine in our bar that just makes ice so because that's one of the things everywhere i've traveled that's one of the things i've missed is ice Hmm. yeah it's it's crazy yeah a lot of countries they just don't see the need for ice per se like you know and air conditioning yeah well we don't have ac we don't honestly we don't like it really yes because if the places that we've stayed in that have ac We've realized once we walk out of that, the weather feels 10 times worse outside. Mm, okay, but when you sense. integrate yourself with it, the weather is actually beautiful, yeah. you know, and we just have fans in our rooms and we sleep with the fans on. We're never miserable at night. Sometimes I actually get cold. So it's actually it's it's nice. We like it. 
And so what are the uh, summer months like there, like as far as night and daytime? That's only during um, dry season, really. Like night doesn't get too much cooler than day during dry season. So that can be pretty hot, but we just put two fans in a room instead of one. Um, But like the majority of the year, you know, you have perfect daytime temperatures. And at night, sometimes you need a hoodie. Sometimes you need a couple blankets on your bed. Sometimes you don't need any blankets on your bed. So the amount of sunlight is roughly the same. It might change by 35, 40 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, But the day starts very early, like 440, 445. The sun is up up and people are working and life is happening. And it starts to really get dark right around 5, 515, 530. And by by 630, the sun's down like completely. Yeah. Last night we were like, holy shit, it's like 630 and there's still a smidge of sunlight. But that's like at the height of, you know, the Where sunniest the- time, really, like for us. So, you know, it's it's brighter, longer right now. But it's only, you know, by six o'clock most of the year, it is pitch ass black. Hmm. Did you guys do a lot of traveling before you moved there? Uh, yeah, yeah, not not so much to other countries, but due to like um, motivational speaking and the cigar stuff, we did a lot of traveling. Still do. I still do a lot of traveling. And so what was it about uh, South America that you loved? Uh, well, actually, we're in Central America. Oh, I thought you said, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. No. Um, so Nicaragua is kind of like just below Nicaragua is Costa Rica, then Panama, and then you're in South America. So oh, okay. Really I'm sorry. Yeah. Nope, not a problem. Um, but we honestly, it's the culture. It's, you know, if you set your back yourself back, you know, to like, say, 1940, that's kind of what it is here with technology and um, with the lack of resources. And we enjoy that because people tend to, they like to talk face to face. That's what they prefer. You know, you still have the sense of community. People still help each other. Um, It's not a hustle and bustle in the same way that America is, you know, like at the police checkpoints, you know, you hand them a piece of paper that shows your car insurance and there's no, looking on a computer and making sure, you know, there's nothing like that. They don't have that. In fact, they just got a, um, a speed, uh, a radar. Yeah. And it's so old. Like I'm surprised that thing even works. Yeah, It's like a 1986 TV remote. (laughs) (laughs) So is it kind of like how, like they say Cuba is that, you know, it's kind of like stuck in its own time period. Yes. That's exactly how it is here. Yep. The real difference here is where in Cuba, because of the embargo, you know, you have a lot of vehicles that are, you know, from the time of the embargo, nothing mm-hmm. else is imported. Here, much of what you see is from like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yeah. Uh, like we drive a 1996 uh, Prado. 2006. Or a 2006 Prado, excuse me. And which you can't get in the States, but it's, I mean, that's an old vehicle for most people in the States here. It's actually on the newer end. If you go to like the capital city, Managua, they do have a few car dealerships with like brand their new. Toyota dealerships and they're brand new, Mazda, brand new, but you'll you, see every now and then a few brand new cars, but you really yeah, have to rare. have a lot of money here in Nicaragua to even afford something like that. And the second you get out of those cities, you don't see any of that shit. You'll see, like old fucking Land Rovers and Jeeps from the seventies. Which is people, pretty badass. Yeah. Honestly. People in the States <laughs> would kill for that shit, you know? Mm. And 
it's just expensive to import that stuff. And if you're a resident, you can import without tax, but you know, you're going to throw a vehicle in a, on a ship and, and get it down here. I mean, that's not cheap. Which on some top people of the do, but it's, you know, it's insane. Yeah. You know, we're working on a residency and one of the benefits of that is you can import a vehicle without all their taxes, which we already bought a vehicle before we even moved here. So it didn't matter, but that would be the only way to truly bring a vehicle here. But the other issue is because you're set back, you know, they're like the 1940s, a lot of people here don't understand the new technology and vehicles. And that also means that you're not going to find the parts that you need. Yep. So it's just way easier to have a simple diesel older vehicle that will just run forever. They can easily fix it for you and you're just on your way. Yeah. Something gets jacked up. You can't find a part. They'll just machine it for you and well, they'll install it. So that's, that's why we got what we got. It's, it's because it makes sense for survival, not because it looks cool and you know, it, it checks the boxes we need to do what we want to do. And, and it's it. an off-roading vehicle, which you have to have where we live. Like you have to have an off-roading vehicle, any of the beaches to get to them, especially right now during rainy season, like you, you have to have four wheel drive or else you're not making it through the jungle. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, all these new cars, you know, they have the chips in them and stuff and they're backlogged for like two years because they can't make enough chips fast enough because of all the COVID yeah. happening in the factories overseas and stuff. Like I saw a car dealership. I forget where it's at. It's uh you're in the States. They, they're the truck is like 60,000. The dealer markup it's, it's on the sticker, you know, it was 30,000. So that truck out for that person to buy was $90,000. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah that I'm, is crazy. I was thinking in my head, I'm like, who the fuck is going to pay $90,000 for F one fifty? Yeah. It's, and it's insane because you see it all the time because people, you know, in first world countries, they have, they feel like they have to keep up with the Joneses yeah. and like, that's, it's just not us. That's not who we are, you know? So we're like, fuck yeah, 2006 Prado, four wheel drive, diesel, let's do it. You know? Well, that's the best thing. Like, uh, like Josh has said, if something happens to that car, there's somebody in that village or that town that can fix it easily. With the newer yep, technology, you can't, that. yeah, you know, oh, I have to order this part from America. It's going to be a month before it gets here or whatever, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, it seems like you guys are doing it right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's awesome. And we I mean, don't need appointments for anything. Like one time we had a, um, our tire was going flat, needed to be plugged. And there's just a guy in a, his little shack that he lives in. You pull up, he plugs your tire. 10 minutes later, you're on the road again. Yeah. Like it's super simple. You just pull up to his house. He fixes it. You give him a few cords and you're on your way. Yeah. Six dollars later, you're back out. <laughs> you're still not yeah. ready for your, your dinner and everything's good. I had a flat tire in my work car um, a couple of weeks ago and it took them almost a full day to get to my car. That's and crazy. Because we don't have a spare in it. That's one thing we don't understand is why it's a 2017 Kia Soul and it doesn't come with a spare. So That's nuts. The, the shop, our, our warehouse manager is like, dude, just put the spare on. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, um, am I missing where the spare is? Because I'm looking under the car and I don't see anything. And <laughs> he's like, oh shit, you have one of the original Kias we bought. That's right. We don't... He's like, call call this company and they'll come out. I was like, so what am I supposed to do in the meantime? He's like, can you just drive your personal car? And I was like, I guess. And uh, <laughs> they yeah. probably had somebody like high up, probably at the dealer or the the manufacturer that probably either was like, how can we save money? Uh, let's not put spare tires in the car. 
Like, yeah, yeah. That's how they get you. There's a there's a thing I saw the other day. It was about like how you, obviously I'm sure you've heard of like Michelin star restaurants, and they said like Michelin back in the day wasn't selling tires enough, and so one way they figure out what to sell tires was to have people drive far away to like a restaurant, rate the restaurant. And then people would drive and the tires would wear down that way. And that's how Michelin got into the restaurant business because of selling tires. Wow. But everything's about money. You know, yeah. it's, it's just like, it's all, it's about the bottom line at the end of the day. Yep. That's what we tried to escape. That's what, you know, that's why we, one of the many reasons why we made this decision, you know, and we're never going to, you know, shit talk America. I mean, we're Americans, you know, we love our country we just hate some of the shit that goes on in it where people get taken advantage of. Well, yeah, like, you know, I feel, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but like the basketball player that's in jail right now in Russia, like why is she still in jail for a simple hash charge? Like why haven't they not gotten her yet? You know, like. But I mean, she's on their territory too, though. That's a, a different right. set of yeah, it's uh, As a dude who's been to Russia, they don't give a shit about you about anybody and if you're not doing what they say then you're if you're if you're breaking their rules then you get the consequence that is it no negotiation no give a shit and her i saw something about you know she her rights and stuff they don't you don't have rights there this is it's not america there's no freedom of speech there's no second amendment there's none of that they don't give a shit about you and that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand when they travel. Like they think that first world or something similar to that means the rights are the same and stuff. It's like, no, that's why you read up on countries you travel to. You can't go there and, and do the same things. If you're going to go to London and talk shit about the government and the queen, you're going to jail. They don't have first amendment. You can't do that. Yeah. And it's so, just like, uh, do y'all remember the whole Caney thing that happened in Singapore? It was like in the early '90s that Michael P. Fay guy, and how like he was like vandal vandalizing like the streets and stuff in um in Singapore, and they were like, "We're gonna you're gonna get Kane for doing this," and everybody's like, "This is barbaric," you know. He's an American, he's an American, yes, but he's not in America doing the fucked up shit he's doing. And right. that's the thing, like a lot of people, like everywhere I've been, like even when I go out of town, like into a different place, like even in America, like a different city or state. I don't like getting fucked up. Well, generally, I don't get fucked up here, but I'm saying, like, I don't want to get fucked up in a place where I don't know anybody. I don't know right. any set of the rules. Like, it's different when you're home because you can feel kind of safe. But, like, when you right. step into a different different country, it's a different set of rules. Like, when I went to Africa, I remember thinking, like, because every single time we would get, we were driving to, like, they would have, like, a checkpoint, and the, the driver would, like, put your seatbelts on, and then he'd have to pay right. them an X amount of money for us to keep going. And it's like, you don't have to witness that kind of stuff here. So like, it's you know, you just have to just, like you said, you need to read up on where you're going before you go there. Yeah. If you think you're going there as an American and you're going to do things the American way, then you're, then just go to like fucking a different state because you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's my opinion on this Russia situation with her? Well, I don't have one because number one, it doesn't make a difference. Number two, I can't change it. And number three, if I were going there and I did, I knew what I could and couldn't do. And that was one of the things that is an absolute no, no. So it wasn't even on my to do list. So, you know, if you're going to, 
make decisions, you got to know that there's consequences, positive or negative, and you got to be okay with those if you're going to pull that shit. Yeah, because I saw that they the Russians want like one of their spies that Americans have in jail and somebody else right. now, and they were like, America's like, no, we can't give all that up. I mean, just bring just let it come home or whatever. I don't know, right. but I never thought about it. What you just, what both you and Tony just said about it, like you know, you're not in America just because you're an American in a foreign country doesn't give you American rights. I mean, that just goes back to somehow, like, either it's celebrity or being an American feeling entitled that you can just get away with shit because you're an American or who you are. And it's just, right. like I said, it's just not the case. Like you have to, you have to play by the rules. You can't break rules. I mean, that that's rules for a reason. You know? Yep. And it's not, 100%. I mean, it's like, obviously it sucks for her, but I mean, she made that choice to bring that shit with her. She knew what she was doing. She was, it wasn't an accident that she had it. You know? Right. Yep. And, and, you know, our stance on, you know, hash or weed or whatever is irrelevant because that's not their stance. Yeah. So that's, and that's just how it is. Like, and especially I mean, what's going it's, on it's now over there. You think they want to help us out? Right. Yeah, because we keep on giving. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Know, but like, it's crazy. Yeah, that makes total sense. I just thought about it being like you know she was American. And I was thinking the wrong way of looking at it by saying, oh, well, you know, she's an American citizen. Like we should go get it. Go get her. Now I see why they were worried about you in Colombia because you think like an American. Hey man, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm gonna be good in Colombia. You better keep in line, man. I'm not getting arrested. I mean, it's not just because it's Colombia, but like there's certain things like people can interpret things a different way, and like if you act a certain way, like here it may be cute and funny, but over there it might be disrespectful. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look up Colombia yeah. like etiquette and stuff because I don't want to be that guy that's on this bachelor party that gets pulled up by the cops and beaten or something. Yeah, we'll sit there and watch it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I know y'all will. <laughs> So, uh, what's your business now? You do you know, y'all deal with cigars? Yep, we own a cigar company. It's called Dissident Cigars. And how long has that been going on for? Uh, we started in December. December, right? December yeah. Yeah, yeah so December is when we... About we, seven, eight months, something like that. Yep. Yeah. Have y'all always and, been uh, big into cigars? Uh, for about the past six years, for both of us, we've been into cigars, and... What's weird is I always knew there was something more to cigars. Like that was just my intuitive self. You know, I knew there was something bigger. And for a while we were doing um, a type of motivational speaking and cigar lounges. And I knew that wasn't it, you know, like there was something more. And then, you know, a couple of years down the road, you know, we were offered the cigar company and it was just like, yep, this is it. So it's just crazy. It's crazy where life takes you. You guys have done all this in six months of owning the company or since December of 2021? Uh, what do you mean? Like, uh, like getting the, getting your brand out there so much, so well. Yeah, actually. So dissident was already a cigar brand. It's been oh, okay. one since, um, about what? 2013 ish. Uh, yeah, um, like so it was already a brand, but it was never heavily established. So a lot of people didn't know about it and we just hit the ground running and made it, you know, more known than what it was. So for the past like seven months, we've been pushing it heavily and it's grown substantially, actually far more than we ever expected. And so we're now running into the, um, 
uh, a good problem to have, which is having to reorder already, which we weren't expecting. So it's, it's been, it's been nice. It's, it's grown how we've hoped it has grown and it'll continue to grow, which is awesome. So you just need the right people behind brands. And, you know, if you see a vision, you stick with it and keep it going. Yeah. I mean, the, the cigars were always awesome. We spoke dissonant before the problem is it was hard to find just because stock was an issue. And, you know, there's a lot of other things in terms of marketing and stuff, brand cohesion, things like that. And we just brought all that together. And yeah, to her point, our biggest hurdle right now is making sure there continues to be stock because when we jumped on board, we got enough, you know, stock based on predictions and, and info that we had for about eight months or so. And that's lasted about three-ish months. <laughs> so that's good. But now we have to, you know, scramble a little bit because, you know, working with the factory and having cigars made and aged, you know, takes about four months at minimum to, to make happen. So it's not like having t-shirts printed and you'll have them up and running in two weeks. So it yeah, it's takes a big time. Process. So what is the process of some, like from start to finish of cigar making? Uh, if you're going to, if we're talking from blend to Getting lounge, yeah, to, to, to customer, to smoke it, yeah, that could be, that could be at, at best seven. six, six, seven months Holy at hell. worst, at worst, it could be a few years. And the reason for that is very simply that say you're going to blend a cigar, right? You go in, you test out three or four blends at a time, you find that maybe you don't like any of those. So you re-blend, you test it right off the table. If it's good, you age it for, you know, three months or so. If it's still good, then you can go into production. If it's not what you're thinking, then you have to start over. So that adds another three months, right? Mm -hmm. So at minimum, you got three months on the blend cycle, test through it. If it's good, then you put it into production. Uh, that could take, you know, a few days to a few weeks, depending on volume, then you put it into the aging room. And in the aging room, it sits and chills out, um, you know, generally for three ish months, give or take, then it takes a few weeks to ship, um, you know, imported into the U S then to get checked into the distributor and then maybe a week to ship to the lounge to get it. So, I mean, there's, there's easily six months right there. And this is if everything is on, on point six months minimum. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Cause we, uh, we just released the Molotov, um, in July. It's, uh, that is dropping into the U S into lounges probably in the next week and a half or so it's being, it's going through customs now. It should be going through customs now. Um, and that we started literally when we took this over. So wow. like De- December to August, it took to actually get that done and out there. So yeah, it took time and and we were speeding along too. Like we were going quick by the time the cigar was done, the artwork was finished, the boxes were ready, everything. So, I mean, we were on point with everything. It just took that long. Have you guys ran into any shortages of product making the cigars and stuff? Yes. yes, in the beginning, there wasn't really much stock at all. So um, there was a lot of lounges that were 
waiting for certain cigars and it took a few months just to get them those cigars because they had to be made, they had to be aged. Um, and then those same cigars we did make extra of, but because Dissident has grown so substantially, we actually are now short on those cigars again. So mm. it's, you know, it's this process of trying to figure out numbers because all we have is, you know, is history. We can only look back on, on what was there previously. We have no predictions on how quickly this is going to grow. So, you know, it's been, it's been a, a gam a gamble, but you know, it, it's for the most part working in our favor, you know, there's a little bit of hiccups, but you know, if, it's going good. If you're talking about uh, from the side of the tobacco crop and the shortages there, yeah, there also are, that, yeah, yeah, there are for certain things like, our soapbox originally had a Brazilian Modafina wrapper, which is tough to get at this point. So we actually switched it over to a Sumatra wrapper, uh, which actually it, it wasn't something we were going to do because we love the original soapbox. But it just so happened that the change was a good change and it's been very popular and everybody's stoked about it. So that's good. But we had to make that change out of necessity or just stay out of stock on the product, which it didn't make sense to do that. And it was such a minor change that, you know, it's, it's still basically the same cigar with a couple extra notes for those that can really taste that kind of thing. So but the, overall it's not been super crazy. Like there's not like massive shortages of like tobacco or anything everywhere. You just have to be careful with certain things you're choosing or do them in limited batches. What's the shelf life on like a cigar. So when it gets to the lounge, like, how long is it? I mean, not how long, not how long is this a day? How long is it? How long is a cigar fresh for it? I guess is my question. Yeah. Uh, as, as long as you'd like it to be. I mean, there's right. people that have smoked, that are smoking cigars that are years and years and years old. Oh, there's cool. companies that have aged their cigars for what, like 20 yeah, years. 15, and so as long as you have proper humidification, I mean, they'll last as long as you want them to last. And of course, as they age, the changes, the flavors change, but you know, that's never particularly a bad thing at all. You know, it's just like wine. Wine can last forever as long as it's stored properly. And that's exactly how cigars are. So that's the where thing the is, humidor though, comes into play. Yes. Correct. Yeah. 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 The, the thing to consider too, is like in our case, our cigars are ready to smoke right about you know, three, three and a half, months. four months, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's when they're at Before, peak and, flavor. You know, when, when they're dropping in at six months, you know, four to six, eight, 10 months, you're at peak flavor right there, right? Because it's aged, it's sad, it's done the things it needs to do. Uh, that's not to say that in two years it's going to suck. It's just going to be a slightly more mild cigar. Um, but again, if your humidor is set and everything's good, for the most part, you know, it'll, it'll be the same cigar with just milder notes that, you know, from, you know, the first six or eight months or whatever. I mean, and like we said earlier, that aging process for our cigars is done in the factory. So when you get our cigars, they're ready to smoke. You don't have mm. to age them at all. You just have to keep them humidified, which is with every cigar. You just have to make sure if you're not smoking it, it's being, it's in a humidor. And so the box they come in is called a soap box. Well, that's, that's just a name of one of our cigars. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, just in general cigars just come in like a, typically a wooden box and it just helps retain the, uh, the humidity in it, but they still need 
some type of humidity, whether they're inside the box or outside the box, they have to be around humidity. Yeah. If you have, you know, if you buy, say a, a box of 20 cigars, you'll want to drop a small humidity pack in there with it to keep it at a specific uh, humidity percentage. And you'll also want to keep it, you know, like out of the sun and, and not in a super damp place, you know, so it kind of maintains, maintains a good temp. A lot of people say, 70% humidity, 70 degrees, you know, that's all debatable, but that's a good kind of rule of thumb. We live in Nicaragua. Our shit sits out in the bar because of the temps here and the humidity here. So it's ideal. So we just go get them out of, out of the bar, you know, it's fine, mm. but you can't do that. And you know, our customers in Alaska and Hawaii have vastly different things to deal with than our people in the Midwest or in like the deep South. So, you know, that's where humid humidification and humidors come in. So a lot of science behind this. There is, yeah. That's why that's why you see uh, very few people in this industry. Yeah, like you <laughs> know, you never what what you're saying, Tony. You, you, you never realize you don't know a lot until you talk to somebody that knows a lot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, that that whole thing about you don't know what you don't know, and sometimes that's the best, right? Because the yeah. second you know, you want to know more, and then you're down a fucking rabbit hole. Uh, so like as far as cigar goes, like I know everybody talks about Cuban. Is that just because it's like hard to get, and that's why everybody says they're the best? And there's yes. probably other brands that are probably a lot better. Yes, <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, or not brands, like, oh, but other places you can get cigars from. Yeah, I mean, it's just that whole, like, they're hard to get, so they're, they're you know, intriguing to a lot of people. But, I mean, Josh and I have smoked a lot of different Cuban cigars, and to us, we're just like, meh. <laughs> they're fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're fine cigars. They're not, I'm, I, there's no reason to talk shit, but they're fine. Uh, Dominican cigars, also fine. Uh, I am partial to Nicaraguan cigars for various reasons. Um, and, like, Esteli Nicaragua is absolutely the, the mecca for cigars at this point. And that's where our factory is. That's where our cigars are made. And, you know, they're good. They're good ass cigars. But generally, people that talk strictly about Cuban cigars don't know a lot about cigars mm. and want to feel like they're in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. But generally, that's like the, the like, oh, so you, you like it. Like when I go into conversations and I don't know shit, I'm, I'm the first guy to be like, I don't know anything. Tell me. But, some people aren't that. So the first indicator when it comes to cigars are people that are like, oh yeah, I only smoke Cubans. Like, okay, fucker, we get it. Yeah, I know. I know what guy you are in this conversation. You know, which is fine. Yeah, there's a lot of people like that in this world on many topics. Uh, right, right, indeed. That's that is true. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, but it is true. <laughs> unfortunately for them, and the people that right, listen yeah. to them. That's a good way to put it. That's a good, solid way to put it. Right on. <laughs> I was going to ask you all a question about cigars. Um, oh, so like I've never smoked a cigar before. So how, what are the notes and the flavors and how did like what's a good flavor or like how like do I also hear like pairing with like different liquors and stuff like that that goes into it also. So yeah. can you guys speak uh, on that? Yes, sure. Uh, I'll eventually pitch this over to my wife because she's much better at this than I am. Uh, my nose and and like my smell and taste doesn't work well. It just sucks. It's always been that way. So I'm kind of like caveman cigar guy. Like if a cigar is good, smokes good, tastes good, 
I'm like thumbs thumbs up. If if I don't get the things I like out of it, it's thumbs down. I'm not the guy who can be like, oh, I get hints of cocoa and and orange peel and lilac and all that shit from cigars. A lot of people do. Cynthia can get that. Um, where it really happens for me is in the pairing. Um, there are nights where I'm I'll have hot tea. There are nights that I have whiskey. There are nights that I have tequila. And we have uh, our bar is pretty well stocked, and and you know there's a good smattering of different things in there for that reason. And it's because if you're having a lighter cigar, especially in the morning, if you pair that with coffee, you'll notice that it starts to kind of take on a little of those coffee notes. Um, if you have the same cigar with a Coke, the Coke cleanses your palate every time you sip it, mm. so you might taste the you know the spice in the cigar more than what you would if you were smoking it with water or with, you know, whiskey, it might, whiskey would, would dampen that, that spicy taste to some degree. So it just depends on the type of cigar, whether it's a, you know, mild, medium or, or strong cigar. Um, Cause if you're, if you're knocking out a Maduro that can kick your ass because higher nicotine, it's, a, it's the darker cigars you see. Um, and, and if you pair that with whiskey, man, you better have had something to eat you know, earlier in the day. Uh, but if, if you're going really light Connecticut with, with a coffee, I mean, it's going to be a much more enjoyable experience if you're new. So all those things do play into it, but a lot of people put too much shit on that too. Like my opinion is try a bunch of cigars and see what you like. And remember, it's not about anything except for you enjoying the moment of downtime with that cigar. It's not about, you know, is it a Cuban? Do, do I taste this? And all that shit. A lot of people get too serious about it. I, I fucking light cigars in high wind with a goddamn Bic in Central America. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of people will talk shit about everything I just said, because that's not the right way to smoke a cigar. That you doesn't s- work for me. You sound kind of like me. Like I'll, when it comes to alcohol, like I'll, I'll drink bush light. I'll drink whatever. Like as long as I enjoy it, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent, a hundred percent. But when it comes to like the tastes and the notes and stuff, I'll give that to uh, to Cynthia to handle because she blends our cigars. Because my taste and, and smell just doesn't work. She can tell you a bit more about it. Yeah, and it's all. I mean, a lot of people have this uh, thought that cigars are pretty much the same, and they're not. You know, it depends on where the tobacco's grown, the type of soil, the atmosphere, like all that stuff, you know, so like our cigars, most of the tobacco comes from Nicaragua and Nicaragua is known pretty much for their more peppery notes. So you'll find a lot of cigars that, you know, when you smoke them, it it tastes like, you know, black pepper in the front or white pepper or cayenne pepper, Um, you know, and you get into different regions, you know, you have Ecuador and you have Honduras and you have uh, Dominican Republic, all the tobaccos from all those different countries are all going to taste different. Um, and, you know, and it comes right down to, you know, the way the sun is hitting it, the amount of water, the different parts of the leaf of the plant, you know, there's just so many things that go into cigars that, that people don't realize. So, you know, you can kind of get a feel for what the cigar might taste like or the strength of it, um, by knowing where that cigar is coming from on top of, you know, you have your three different basic types of cigars. You have your Connecticut, which is the lighter blends. You have um, Habano, which is your medium strength cigars. And you have Maduro, which is your heavier strength cigars. And by looking at them, you can see the difference, you know, because Maduro always has like a dark chocolate 
colored wrapper where your um, Habano is going to have like a milk chocolate wrapper and then your Connecticut's going to have a, a light brown wrapper. So there's just so many things that go into cigars. It's like, you know, it's, it's no different than coffee. You know, you have certain brands of coffee you like and you don't like, and that's because of where they were grown, how it was processed. How it was blended. Yep. There's just oh. so many factors that go into it. So whiskey is the same. Uh, craft beer is the same. That's why a lot of the people that are into craft beer or whiskeys also smoke cigars. Or if you're into coffee, they're also into craft beers. It's because there's a lot of crossover with with the way the concepts about how these are created. Yeah. Because like I have, you just said it was a uh, craft beer. Some of my friends, that's all they drink. And they, they and, and a couple of them like smoke cigars while they drink it because they like the, the way it tastes. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, and that's, that's a really good point. We have a close friend of ours who we actually developed the dissonant whiskey with uh, Rob. He owns a brewery and a distillery and like, he has full access to a wide range uh, of beers and, and whiskey for that matter. And, you know, if he wanted to, he could create whiskeys and, and beers that match his favorite cigar blends for his palate, which is super cool. Like that's a, to me, that's like one of those like monthly subscription type boxes that would make a lot of sense if it were easy to ship alcohol and tobacco all over the States. Like that would be ideal. You may want to get your friend to do that because that's a great idea. Like seriously, like, yeah, I mean, you know, because sometimes you get those monthly subscription uh, packages that just suck. You see, you know, and then, right. and that's a great idea. You get a cigar with a pairing or like, was like, you know, box of cigars and a whiskey or whatever he's making. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's, I, oh yeah. By the way, I saw your, um, I saw Cynthia's post about the bottle that, that the whiskey they made for y'all. Yeah. I was like, Hey, how do I buy one of these? She was like, they're not for sale. I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's available at events. So come on out to a, a distant event and hang yeah. out with a bunch of and, and have some whiskey. So when do y'all go on the road again with, with like the events? Um, right now it's only, it's cigar events and that's just me doing them. Okay. Um, and, I was actually doing it for a few months just recently. And so I have a little bit of a break and then I leave end of September again to hit the road and go to a bunch of different cigar lounges and have some events and uh, meet new people and make new friends and create family. Are you yeah, the biggest thing? Go ahead. Sorry. The, as, I was just going to say the biggest thing for us is like, you know, scheduling those events because they take time, obviously. I mean, she's out for a week, two weeks at a time. And then we have, you know, our family, our life here. We have other business too that we run. Plus we have pets and, and things like that that, you know, need vet visits and things. So it's it's always kind of spinning a bunch of plates at once. Do you guys sell beard oil too, I saw? Uh, we don't sell it. We actually are partnered with Beard Octane. So he actually reached out to us, gosh, a, a couple years ago um, wanting to see if we wanted to, uh, be a part of the brand because they knew that Josh had a beard and, you know, his company like aligned really well with us and who we are. And so we jumped on board and the next thing we knew he created, um, a line for us and, you know, with the tobacco and rum and mine also has cherry in it and Josh's is vanilla tobacco rum. So pretty cool. I mean, it's a wonderful company that's um, all natural ingredients and in all his products and really stellar dudes. So yeah, we have that also, but it's not a company we own. We just love working with him. 
growing up, did you ever think your face would be on a bottle? No, I didn't think it'd be on a bottle. I didn't think it'd be on T-shirts. I didn't think it'd be on a cigar. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's still, you know, both of us having, you know, s- careers in speaking. And I wrote books for years and, you know, all, all these things, right? Like now with the cigars, I mean, it's bizarre to sign your name to things or to have people give a shit that you scribbled on something, mm. you know, a poster, a book, uh cigar boxes she just did all the molotov boxes like 500 boxes you know like and but people care like that matters to people and what people like we appreciate it but it's funny because it's like you know half the time here i am sitting in you know fucking dirty shorts sipping a uh tonia looking at the ocean having a cigar no shirt, no shoes, just lounging around, smelling like shit. And they're like, yeah, I want that. I want that guy's autograph. It's like, you know, it just makes us kind of chuckle because like, I get it. I want, you know, I want to have that one extra kind of thing. I want to know that somebody I care about or that impacted me touched, you know, this poster or this record or whatever. We, we all have that to some degree, right? Because it puts us closer to them in some way. But to be associated with that in some way is crazy to, well, to me anyway, it's just, it's just mind blowing. I don't know. I'm thankful. I feel blessed for it, but it's just like, holy shit, this is craziness. Yeah. I think it's all about perspective and appreciation. Like they say, like we're on a spinning rock in the middle of nothing. And there's things that we're doing that affect people. And then there's other things grander than us, but like, you're still a person that's affecting people and that's grand to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it, it just, it humbles us. It makes us feel good that, you know, these little words that we put out there and these little things that we do actually mean something to people. And we, you know, do actually help people's lives and save lives. And, you know, that's still, whenever somebody says that we saved their life, like that's still just like, holy shit, you know, it's hard to even comprehend that. And we've gotten that so many times. It's just, it's mind blowing. Yeah. How do you even process that when somebody's like, look, I wouldn't even be here without you or you guys. It's like, holy shit. Like I still can't process. I wish I could process it because it's not something I take lightly because that's a heavy statement, but it's a lot to wrap your head around, you know? 100%. So what is some of the motivational stuff y'all done in books you've written? Um, Well, I've written several books over the years. My most popular two books were actually my most recent ones, which is Inspiration on Demand and Shit That Needs Said So You Can Kick All the Ass. And um, those two books right now, once we moved, uh, we, we sold out of everything. Like, weirdly like two days before we moved because i would actually package them sign them package them and ship them personally because it was very important for us to to be that connected to the people who were supporting what we do and when we sold out the goal was to get down here settle in take some time and figure shit out so then we can figure out how to properly distribute things back in the states from here so that's kind of where we're at but like um Inspiration on Demand blew up because it caught on pretty hardcore as the very first book ever um, kind of co-written or voted on by social media. Basically, all my social media followers voted on the cover 
they voted on the the title of the book and you know things like this and it just sold well caught on because of that angle and it made a positive impact fox news came on board and then a bunch of businesses and schools wanted me to speak and it kind of launched my career to that end um but he's been actually speaking for uh, about 20 years now and then i joined him um in the later part but yeah, I mean, we've done everything from, especially with Josh, uh, like corporations to, you know, middle schools, high schools, colleges, um, smaller businesses, up to like thousands and thousands of people. So it was pretty crazy and, and awesome to see. Yeah, humbling to say the least when you're, you know, w- walking out in front of 5,000 people and knowing that you have to entertain them for you know, 90 minutes to 120 minutes and keep their focus. And hopefully they walk out of there with actionable items and value. Like it's a lot to shoulder. So when we came here, you know, I did it for a lot of years. Sin did it with me the latter part of that. And then coming here, like COVID really put a, a stamp on it. Cause I've been thinking about walking away from it because I was tired. And I believe too, that, you know, I'm, I'm 40, 41. And you can only be in touch with the youth if your mind is still youthful in the same way that it was. And, you know, I'm, I'm not there. My kids remind me all the time that I'm, quote, old, right? I mean, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not at 40. But you start to lose touch in ways that you don't mean to. And that told me that it was time to kind of step away because I couldn't connect in, in the, the little ways that bring in an audience with, with students anymore. Um, and not that I was feeling that. I mean, I had my biggest audiences at the end, but I needed to make sure that never happened. So COVID kind of was, was like, yeah, okay. This, that, the January before COVID dropped um, was my last speaking event. And we knew that that was likely going to be the case. And then COVID hit and it was like, well, I can't do this anyway. So, you know, it makes sense. And if we move to Central America, then that really seals the deal. But I did do one more event right before we moved with my older brother who also does speaking. And he had a heart attack and was dead for 11 minutes. Wow. And uh, he asked me if I would speak with him at the high school we both graduated from to the student body. And, uh, I agreed to do it because what a cool opportunity to kind of end with your brother where you sort of began, where you both sort of began. So, you know, that, that was kind of the, the nail in the coffin for speaking. But now we both, you know, continue to spread positive vibes out on social media and, and uh, you know, through the cigar community just in a different way, which is in some ways way cooler. Can you give us kind of a rundown of your backstory? Uh, of mine personally or both of y'all, but yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll start since I've been the one blabbing here. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm just a small town kid that grew up in, in the rural Midwest, um, who just felt weird, who didn't fit in, who felt very alien, um, in, in a agricultural town where I was, you know, reading books and listening to, you know, punk music and heavy metal and shit and you know was very rooted in cultures not of you know the corn belt right and i did i looked like it too i mean i was before i graduated high school my whole lower left leg was fully tattooed like i had long hair like it did not fit where i grew up um 
I had alcoholic parents who divorced early. I had to grow up very fast and just felt weird, like, again, like an alien. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of is why I wrote. I hit bottom in 2001 um, and decided then that I was going to end my life. And the day that I had planned on doing it, I wrote a note, planned on checking out. And uh, it, it was weirdly my anxiety that actually kept me from doing it. And writing the note was really what changed the course of my life because I wasn't bottling up all the anger and all the frustration and all the things anymore. I, had, I mean, you know, we all should talk about that stuff, but I didn't feel like I had anybody. But just writing it out did that. So I decided then that I was just going to take responsibility for my life instead of kind of believing that others were responsible and I was some sort of weird victim in all this, you know? So that's what I did. And I, because I didn't have anything to lose, I could set my sights as high as I wanted and work toward all my dreams, which thankfully over the course of the next 20 years, I, along with Cynthia was able to achieve all of them, which is ridiculous to even think about. But, um, and, and also it was, that ball started because of that moment when I hit bottom. It was that that helped launch my speaking career, my writing career, and, uh, you know, kind of the, the pathway to the rest of my life and, you know, my, my coaching career, all that stuff. So, you know, without that shitty time and those shitty times in high school and being a teen that we all have to some degree, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at now in my, in my forties, you know? So, mm. but, uh, that's kind of the quick and dirty, or maybe it was the, the too long and boring. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll pass you off to my wife. She can she can talk a bit about hers. Yeah, my story is actually really similar to Josh's. Uh, just growing up um, with parents who, you know, at the time really shouldn't have been parents. So I, I wasn't close to them. Um, I was around abuse, a lot of sexual abuse uh, by multiple men, um, and moved out of my home when I was, you know fairly young, had a child young. Um, I was a military wife for eight years. Um, and after getting divorced, I actually was in a few different abusive relationships. And I knew that I needed to change my perspective on life and not have the victim mentality or else I would never survive any of the things that I was going through. Um, I mean, at one point I was homeless with my kids and, you know, I had to figure out a way out of that. You know, I was homeless due to a, an abusive relationship and trying to escape it. And, um, I learned that I needed to take every situation that I was in and turn it around into something positive and find tools within these situations. And so through all this stuff, you know, I became a sexual assault and domestic abuse um, advocate. I was certified in that uh, just to essentially help women who were going through, like, say, if they were raped or abused and, you know, cops were called and they were taken out of the home, I would be the one to meet up with them at the hospital and sit with them and, you know, go to court with them. So they had an advocate. Um, and then I ran a boy's home for four years. Um, they were all wards of the state. They were, um, uh, how, how did they, how do you word it? They, 
were wards of the state due to sexual violations. Basically, they were, quote unquote, the predators. Um, But you quickly learned that they were just a product of their surroundings. And a lot of their parents were sexually abusing them. They didn't know it was wrong. And then they then did it to other people. So anyway, I was the one that would... um, be at the at the boys home and and run it and essentially raise these kids for two years and you know they had a lot of intensive therapy and we'd get them back to where they could be productive citizens in their community and learn from their quote-unquote mistakes and you know just be wonderful humans in the end and um and then same with the motivational speaking you know all that stuff i couldn't have done if i did not go through what i did um and while I was going through all this stuff, you know, I, I had to meet with so many people, so many, um, uh, you know, people that went to school for, um, what is the word social, uh, what are those people? Social work, like social, social workers. workers. Yeah. So, you know, meeting with the social workers and realizing that based off of what they were saying, they had no idea what they're talking about. Um, they never went through it themselves. And so I knew, you know, moments like that, that, if I'm going to have all these unfortunate events underneath my belt, then I'm going to turn it into something positive. And that's exactly what I did. And so I started helping other people and started speaking and, you know, again, working at the boys home. And then I worked um, with an attorney helping the elderly and, you know, just kind of spiraled from there. Um, And, you know, I've just always been that type of person where I've always wanted to help. Um, And I would never wish my past on anybody, but I'm thankful that I am who I am because I can help a lot of people because of that. Um, and somewhere in there, you know, I found the strength to realize that I can be successful. I'm not um, a product of um, bad things that have knocked me down and I couldn't get back up. I did get back up and I dusted myself off multiple times. And now, you know, here I am in Central America owning a cigar company and, you know, we're thriving. So I hope that my story and my life is a testament to what other people are able to do, um, even if they think that they can't. You know, there was multiple times when I myself didn't want to live and I was super close to ending my life. And every time, you know, there's just that little voice that just pushed me forward and said, not yet, not yet. And I didn't. And here I am. So, I mean, you can have the shittiest life on earth, but as you said earlier, life is all about perspective. And you just have to change your mindset. And that's what gets you through. And even the most trying times. You guys have beautiful stories. I know they didn't start the best, but they turned into something beautiful. Like there's this Tupac uh, poem that he wrote. It's like uh, the rose that grew from concrete. And it talks Mm. about like how would somebody marvel at a rose that grew from concrete or would they just judge it that it grew through concrete? And it's like something Mm. beautiful can come from shit. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most beautiful things do almost always the best stories, the most successful people generally have the hardest background. The people with the biggest hearts generally have the least of least of things, you know, and that's that's proven true living here. You know, it's insane. Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, mean just because of, you know, where we're at today that we're not indestructible, you know, like I've gone through years of PTSD, you know, I was witness to um, a suicide and, you know, that stuff, it doesn't matter who you are. It fucks you up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's visions you can't get rid of, but I think, you know, the success story in that is how we deal with these emotions, you know, how we get through each day with the emotions. Cause you can't bury them, you know, you can't, they're not going to go away. 
but how do you manage those feelings? You know, that's what makes a huge difference. And, you know, it's always important to also love the negative in your life and the things that affect you in a negative way. You know, we can't dismiss those things. They're always going to be there. So how do you nurture the the negative aspect of life as well? And that's a key word. You have to nurture it. You can't just bury it. You have to pay attention, just as much attention to the negative as you do the positive. And that's how you create balance in your life and create a success story and, you know, go about leading a wonderful life because we're not indestructible. We're not superhumans. You know, we all have past, you know, but again, it's life is about perspective. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, especially like say a kid comes from a place of, you know, that's not the best and they're only around people that have that same mentality. There has to be something, I guess, inside them that's like, hey, I can do more. Or hopefully there's somebody on the external can be like, hey, there's other options like this is not your end all be all. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Josh, Josh and I always say, like, we like to be the people in the crowd that are the lowest on the totem pole. You know, we can always learn from people that are that are, quote unquote, above us, you know, then that's who we always try to surround ourselves with. So that's one thing that's amazing about the cigar community is you can go to a lounge and you can sit next to the a garbage man, a police officer, a doctor, and they're all so willing to give advice and talk about their past and want to know more. And, you know, we're all here to better ourselves. And, you know, that's one thing that really made us cling to the cigar world is simply the people that were in it. You know, when we first started hanging around at cigar lounges, it really changed our mindset with a lot of things, you know, being surrounded by such wonderful people. I mean, we've really yet to meet anybody truly sour in the in the cigar community. Right. So it's it's been awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's the whole thing where they always say, just be kind to everybody because you don't know what somebody's going through. Like there's so many people like it, like you'll go somewhere and say somebody's being shit. And you're like, well, fuck that person. But then you're like, well, maybe they're having a bad day. You know, right. like it's just you got to have empathy because I don't think a lot of people are, are empathetic enough. Like they only want to see things from their POV. Like you hurt my feelings. This is why I'm going to treat you this way. Yeah, that's the truth. That's well said. I mean, that's something that I used to talk a lot about when I'd be in the corporate space, especially because. You know, there'd be age gaps in the corporate space. There's different, uh, you know, silos in those larger companies. There's a lot of different things that occur. But, you know, people, you know, go sit in the cafeteria or on the coffee pot, talk shit about fucking Carol in Cubicle 2 because she's a bitch. Well, you know, what they don't know is that, yeah, Carol's struggling. She's, you know, her husband's an alcoholic and her parents have cancer and her son's failing school and she doesn't know how to handle any of it, but nobody asks if she is okay, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's the difference. And that's where we fail a lot. How do you guys feel about this whole culture where they think that like men shouldn't talk about their feelings and uh, it's weak? Uh, well, I mean, my, my whole career is based around talking about my feelings and my emotions and shit. And if I'm being honest, I think that the people that are weak are the ones talking shit about that. You shouldn't talk about your feelings and emotions because they're hiding behind a mask of strength. Mm -hmm. Like it takes fucking guts 
to walk on stage in front of 1200 people and talk about your worst times of your life. You know, it takes nuts to do that. And you got these guys talking about how, Oh, you can't do that. That shows weakness. It's like, no, it shows that you got fucking balls to, to do that in front of your kids or your wife or your family or a thousand people, you know? So, you know, that's, I think that's a huge deal. It's, it's, but, it, you know, sorry, go ahead. again, maybe, maybe I'm a little off in, in that, but I mean, it doesn't make you strong to, to bury shit in, in yourself and just be angry. That doesn't make you strong. Mm-hmm. That makes you angry. Yeah. I think that's why we see a lot of the mass shootings we're seeing right now. It's because people are hurt. They think they say hurt people, hurt people. So it's these people that right. are dealing with something, somebody hurt them and they want to take it out on others. Like there was a situation here in Memphis recently where this guy, him and his girlfriend broke up and there's mm-hmm. an artist, I think his name's Yo Gotti. I think that's what concert was or Gucci. I mean, one of the, I think it was Yo Gotti. Yo Gotti. Yeah. It was like his birthday party. And we have a, a vet uh, space called the Fegs Forum where like the Grizzlies play and stuff. And he lives in a high rise or like an apartment complex across the street from there. So he broke his window out and he was going to shoot all the people that came out of there and then kill himself. And I think Man. he like ended up cutting his hand and he ended up calling the police. And then he told him what he was planning on doing. Luckily, he didn't do it. But it was all because he was upset what happened to him about a situation. So he wanted to hurt other people. And it's right. just like, yep. you know, if you just sit down and you have an outlet to talk to somebody about it then hopefully we wouldn't have all these issues we're having right now. Yes, I agree with that 100%. I mean, hurt, hurt people hurt people is fact. And that's a, a great way to phrase it. And it, I guess that's my two cents. I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Anybody who stuffs it down and isn't willing to talk about it because it's weak, in my opinion, is, is that's the fucking weak individual. Well, I think the problem is, too, is like you mentioned about like people that are molested by their parents or whatever, and then they possibly do it to somebody else. It's like the right. same thing with parents. Like, say your parents were shitty. Their parents are probably shitty, too. So it's like, oh, yeah. you have to break the generational curse. And I'm sure that's not fucking easy to do. But it's nope. just like something <laughs> internal. You have to be like, no, I don't want to do that. Because we had a guy on here and he was talking about like, if everybody in the world slap each other. And then it got to you. Are you going to be the one that say, no, I'm not going to slap that person. You have to stop, you know, stop the, 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 the force, stop the trauma. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. That's, that's what it is. And you have to break that curse because if you don't, I mean, who's going to, right. And sometimes we don't even know, mm-hmm. or sometimes you, you break the curse by creating another, you know, I mean, but again, you don't know what you don't know. We talked about that earlier. And I think that's absolutely true when like your normal childhood is a, a violent father who, you know, works too much, much and drinks too much and, and does so because his dad did that. Well, that's what you do when you grow up, right? Is you, you drink a lot and you be angry about the job that you hate. That's what you do. That's what people do. And if that's the only perspective you have, at least until you're an adult, you don't realize that. You know, other kids didn't live that way. That's not how it is for everybody. Yeah, it's like they say, ignorance is bliss. And it's so true because, like, if you don't know anything different, you're just going to assume it's the same with everybody else. Like, that's why a lot of people live in a bubble. Like, if you live in a bubble and you think everybody's just like you and you think what you're doing is okay, and then you get outside and you start seeing these other people, you're like, whoa, this is not normal. Like, have you ever been in a situation you're talking about something and somebody looks at you like you're an alien? Like, 
the fuck? Why'd you say that? And then you're like, well, oh, I thought it was okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's That's kind our of, whole lives, dude. <laughs> it's kind of also like, you know, you always want what you always want what's best for your children, right? So like if you're the if you're the parent looking at your child and like say you're you should get hit as a kid, like spankings and stuff, and you're like, This is not the best for my kid. Look at me. It didn't help me. So I'm, and then boom, if somebody may click in his mind or her in the parent's mind. It's like, you know what? Maybe spanking isn't the best. Maybe I should right, actually, right. maybe I should actually talk to them, see why they're going through the, why they're acting out and stuff. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how that shit works. But yeah, if we don't think about it, if we don't put ourselves, you know, in, in somebody else's shoes, it's, it's really tough to gain that perspective. I remember seeing a clip one time, I think it was Joe Rogan, and he was talking about how like people beating their kids and like you talk about it like it's normal. But then if you were to say the same thing about beating your wife, people would look at you like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And well, certain situations, people maybe think it's normal, but but it's like, (laughs) why do you think it's okay to hit a kid but not hit your wife or hit your wife but not hit your kid? You know, it's like it's you shouldn't hit anybody. Yeah, I think there's other ways that you can you can. um reprimand somebody without doing physical violence because i don't think physical violence is probably like you said it's probably going to make them think okay it's okay to hit people when i'm upset right yep 100 percent. and and don't get me wrong you know violence is a necessary evil but it is not necessary in (laughs) in in any domestic situation Mm, you know what i mean that is just not there's no reason for that ever and, and when I say that, you know, violence is necessary. Obviously, there's there's war and crime and other things we must protect ourselves mm-hmm. from. That's what I'm for, for PR reference. You know, that's what I was referring <laughs> to. <laughs> I don't need to deal with a backlash over bullshit statements and taking shit out of context. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Wow, man. <laughs> so what but, was yeah. the, what was the first time you like your first motivational speaking event? Um. You know, I did a lot of events uh, around um, like uh, 2003, four, right around the time my first book was released. And I did a lot of events that were more uh, associated with like educational, not necessarily motivational, mm-hmm. um, because I, I worked in body modification for a long time. I did scarification, implants, uh, body piercing, suspension, stuff like that. And I would do a lot of seminars for the health inspectors uh, in the Midwest. So it'd be like, you know, the, the um, territory or region, you know, five state region or whatever, they'd have their yearly conference. And I would do that. And that's what got me comfortable in that space. But it wasn't until my first book was released that I would start doing a lot of uh, creative writing kind of seminars for colleges that bought the book, which thankfully, because those books didn't sell shit other than to the colleges. Um, But uh, after that, once uh, it was really in 2012, 13, when things really hit, because um, like I said, Fox News really, for whatever reason, took to my book, Inspiration on Demand. And, you know, apparently when you write a book, that makes you an expert, which we all know is total bullshit. But people do put that credibility on you for no reason, which makes me laugh because like, I'm not a college educated dude. I just went to high school and had a shitty life at times. And that's all I was doing was writing a book that helped people not have that. But that somehow makes me an expert. So Fox News is like, let's have this guy on. 
And that's what really launched that because people saw me there and they're like, hey, this guy knows things. We should do this. And then, of course, I had to back all that up by actually showing up and knowing things. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it it worked out because that's exactly where I was personally headed and was able to kind of manifest that um, starting in like 2013 on a grand scale. Before that, you know, it wasn't, it, you know, it was sporadic and definitely not, you know, hundreds to thousands of people. But, you know, I, I've been speaking for years on some level anyway. Wow, man. That's uh, yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, that's that's a that's a wild journey you guys have been on. Yes. To, to for us to like, I mean, she's been an actress. She's been a model. She's raised these kids. She's been homeless. She's been abused. She's spoken. She's taken care of you know, kids in a boy's home, she's taking care of elderly when they're passing away. She's, you know, owned a, a, a cigar company now. And, you know, I mean, that's insane to think about that journey because most people, you know, they're just thankful to her survived one life. Mm-hmm. And here we are ha- having yeah. lived many lives in our roughly 40 years and, and many dreams for that matter in that same time. And it's, we're blessed even though we've had some hard times, but it's, it's been by and large better than I could have ever imagined it. You guys should definitely write a book together about y'all's lives. It'll definitely help people, man. We've actually um, somewhat kind of started on that, but yeah, we just like, you have to be in the right frame of mind. Right. And like, we've had, so much shit going on that we just can't get our brains there enough to sit down and truly get it on paper but it'll come out like i know that we will eventually release it it's just a matter of like i said just really being in that mindset and and pushing through all that shit and writing about it so because yeah, you know it, it, like, go ahead at this point at this point, it's a little weird because in the past, you kind of have to live that book for, you know, however many years you're going to promote it, travel, speak, whatever. But at this point, like, if she were to release a book, like, she's already doing the cigar tours and, and speaking in lounges and hanging out with people in lounges. This would just be kind of an extension of that. You know what I mean? It wouldn't yeah. even be additional travel, really. It could just be part of that. So, Cynthia, like when you were working with the boys in the boys home, like how hard mm-hmm. was that to to set aside who they are from what happened in your life? Honestly, it was more a matter of learning them. And I have naturally come from a place of all you need is love. Mm-hmm. You know, love is what pushes through a lot of things. And you know, a lot of the issues with these boys was they were just tossed around from state home to state home. They were never listened to. They were just absolutely broken souls. You know, they, they did something that they shouldn't have done. And, and 90% of them, like I said, it w- they were just a product of their environment. You know, their, their parents were selling them for drugs. Um, and so that's all they knew. You know, they they just knew that this thing that they've done their whole life by their parents feels good. And now they're going to do it. They're also broken and hurting and they don't know how to properly release that pain. And so I was the one that would sit down with them and just listen, like truly be mindful of what they were saying and responding with what they needed and working through that whole process. And 
that's like, that's huge because I think a lot of people from the outside, they don't look at those things. They just see this predator or this monster or whatever, rather than this is a hurting child that has only learned from its surroundings. And how do we change this little sponge essentially? Cause that's what kids are. They're sponges. And, um, so that's what I would do. And, you know, they would be in our facility for up to two years and we would just give them the time that they deserved and hopes that we can change something within them and see that life is, you know, worth it and better than what they've known. So, I mean, it wasn't hard for me to, to separate anything with them. Um, we did have a lot of instances where they were physically violent, you know, that's just how they got out their aggression. But with time, you know, you love them through that as well. And they will just break down and realize that there's other ways to do things. And, you know, that can take up to two years. And that's why they were or more, you know, but that's why they were in our facility for that long. So I'm just that oddball that can see through things. And that's not me saying that what they did wasn't wrong. It was absolutely wrong. You know, they, they should have consequences for their actions. And they did have consequences for their actions. But if I could play a part in changing them for the better, where they become success stories, then that's all that mattered to me. You know, they will remember me forever as being that person that cared when no one else did. So. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Like on both ends. I, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I grew up, grew up around abuse and sexual abuse. And unfortunately, you know, I had parents that uh, shouldn't have been parents and didn't know how to respond to a lot of the stuff I was going through. And I felt alone and suicidal and I just needed somebody to listen. And that's all it took. And I knew that's all they needed as well. And, you know, they 90% of them were changed. They really were. And we had the state watching us to figure out why we had such a high success rate. And they came in and interviewed us. And, you know, I essentially, I told them the same thing. These poor kids just didn't get hurt. They were just shuffled around through the broken system that America has, and they were never listened to. They were never heard. They were never viewed as an individual person with feelings and emotions and a past that they needed to get out and understand how to uh, work with and take that and use it, you know, use their past as tools to better themselves in the future. So I just simply did what others didn't have the strength or time or passion to do. And I mean, it, that's not to say it, you know, it was easy. It absolutely wasn't easy. It, you know, that type of business has a high burnout rate. You know, a lot of people can only do it for so many years. I as one. You know, I, I lasted about four years, but damn it, I gave my all to those kids that came through. What kind of um, like what like when you were listening to these when you sat down with the kids and, you know, started talking to them and they started trusting you and stuff like what emotions were you going through? Like just list, having to listen to them. And when you when you were going home, having to just, you know, think about what they said and stuff. Well, you know, a lot of people in general don't want to feel emotions. You know, they want to they want to be they want to listen, but they don't want to actively listen because they don't want to feel those feelings either. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're huge feelings. And I knew that if I just put myself in that place, it would be of benefit to everybody, including myself, because, because I would also learn. And I did, you know, and I would go home and, you know, at the time I was a single mom and I would just put my mom hat on and 
I knew how to properly love my kids and give them what they needed because of the job that I was doing. And, you know, that is experience that you can't get out of college. You know, you there's no way. You can't just go to college and be a social worker and just expect to know everything. It takes real life situations. And I was very grateful for that. You know, there was times I'd come home and I would just cry my eyes out, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We need to do that. It's okay to cry. It's it's healthy to cry. And so I would just allow myself to feel all those emotions. And in the end, that's why I'm where I am today with emotions and feelings and, you know, you know, in a place of power because I properly healed from things. I properly learned how to handle emotions and get through problems. And I didn't let my past eat me alive. And, you know, I don't know how I did it. You know, I, I, I don't have all the answers, but I knew that what I did was right. And that's why I am where I am today. That's amazing that you were able to help so many of those kids. Thank you. Yeah, it, it truly meant a lot to me and to to watch them change based off of what I felt in my heart was the right thing to do. You know, it was um, pretty quick gratification. You know, it was pretty awesome to watch. And it's like Josh said earlier, if, you know, if people just had an outlet to talk to somebody instead of bawling up their emotions, like, you know, when Tony said something about, um, men aren't supposed to share their feelings and stuff. And then Josh, you know, talked about it's, it's true. And, you know, there'd be so much more peace. I think if everybody just had a, a one person, whether it's a free number to call, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it would help Absolutely. so much. Well, I always think in terms of like, what if we just didn't give a shit? What if, what if we didn't care what other people thought? And we just talked about whatever the fuck we want, whenever we want, because that's what we're feeling. That's how we're feeling um, in just general conversation. If somebody's like, hey, man, how you doing? Instead of being like, oh, I'm pretty good. How are you? If you're like, you know what? Today I'm doing fucking awesome. Or, you know, today's a rough day and here's why. If people meant those conversations and those pleasantries, well, then what? That's what I always think about. Like, because we do, you know, that's how we approach life and people. And what if we just didn't care about society's norms and work to change them? And that's why we do what we do is because of that reason. Because it's like, fuck, who cares? Who cares? At the end of the day, we're just here to exist and leave the place that we live better than we found it. So if that's part of it, then we should do it. And we do. And we speak a lot about the workplace too, because so often, I mean, this this is most of the way life is, you know, you go to work and you carry these burdens and these things from home and you just go to work and you punch the keyboard or you do your job, but you still have this, this thing stewing inside of you. And it may come out as anger or, you know, just that person that's slamming their fucking keyboard and they're just angry and they don't want to talk to anybody and they have a chip on their shoulder. And then all of a sudden people are like, Oh, don't talk to that guy. He's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Well, why not be like, Hey dude, like, are you okay? Like you seem to be struggling for a bit. Like what's going on? You want to talk or, you know, even if like bosses and supervisors took that approach, I feel like life would be so much fucking better because people would actually be seen for who they are rather than- the kids were just viewed as a number. And I just made sure that, you know, that wasn't the case, you know, because that's a huge issue is, you know, people, whether they're at work or, you know, 
whether your kids in the system or whatever, you know, people just tend to be viewed as a number and that's not the way that it should be. We all need to be recognized for who we are. And if we're just seen, you know, that also means, you know, better production out of us, no matter what you're doing in life, you know? Uh, You're so true. I mean, like we're given a serial number essentially at birth and it's like, you go from that to school, you're basically taught to be a factory worker and then you get to a job and then it's like production. Like, what did you, what are you doing? How are your numbers? Are you, you're excelling or you're not? And then it's like, you're expendable and it's like, you're not treated like a human. Right. And no one cares about what you have going on at home and, you know, what you're struggling with and, you know, the burdens you carry. And, you know, I think that's so wrong. Like we should all be noticed for, you know, what we're going through. And, you know, that just it helps the world go around when everyone is seen, you know, and I think that's a huge issue with the workplace is people just aren't being seen as individuals, they're not being checked in on, um, you know, and then other people are looking at you like, Oh, you're a fucking asshole. Like why, you know, why are they like this or whatever, you know, instead of being like, Hey dude, how you doing? Like, you seem like you're pretty upset. You know, you want to talk or anything like that. You know, it just, it just makes things a lot better when you're actually being seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, it just seems like a lot of archaic bullshit just keeps being trickled down to us instead of like, Hey, let's change the way of, the old way of thinking. Let's start a new way of thinking. Right. I think a lot of people are thinking that way. I think a lot of people are aware that what we're dealing with and the way things are don't work, uh, especially for like everybody, quote unquote. Right. Um, but I do believe that, you know, there's a reason that things are like they are is because it works. It makes money, you know, production and productivity creates value. Value creates you know, a service of some kind, which then, you know, provides money. And back to the thing we were talking about, however long ago that, you know, it comes down to dollars and cents for most people. But, you know, there's a a large subset of people where money matters less and less every day that goes by. And they realize that spending time with people and having more time at home. And if it's one thing that COVID lockdowns taught us is that we don't want to go back to the office. We want to stay at home and be with our pets and chill with our family and, and all that. And we don't, you know, a lot of people are willing to take a pay cut because now they don't have to worry about a commute and things like that, you know? So they're willing to, to take that pay cut to stay home and live that life instead. So I, I, think that there's a bit of a sea change happening but i also (laughs) firmly believe that the trickle down bullshit that's been happening since the dawn of of uh well the industrial age is is still happening as well we're just at a weird transitional time that may last another 10 20 years who knows yeah it's weird how like we all strive for these things and these possessions like we talked about earlier that are all man-made bullshit but like one thing we can't get back is our time. And that's one thing we have to trade for these possessions. Mm-hmm. It's like that whole yep. fight club thing. Like the things you own end up owning you because you have to work for them and you're, you're slaving away from them. And I guarantee you, if most people on their deathbed were given their possessions or their time, they would take more time. Oh yeah. A hundred percent agree with that. And and that's, what's so crazy about kind of our story because you know, the two of us and our kids sold everything except for a, suitcase worth the shit that were more needs than than anything to start over and do things different and it was insanely freeing you know i mean to not have 
all this shit weighing you down and to be able to go and do and be as you please. That's something that most of us haven't had since we were what, 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I said, I wish more people could uh, follow their, you know, their dreams or their passions instead of, you know, just the dreams that are sold to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, a lot of people don't even know what their passion or dream is because they only know what they've been told. Yeah. And, you know, that's not a slight on those individuals. That's just how it is. Like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if they've never given been given the opportunity to explore themselves or the things that they really like, you know, you know, if you grow up in, you know, a steel mill town and your dad and your grandfather worked at the steel mill, now you work at the steel mill. Well, that's, that's just what you know. Mm. And if you're happy with it, fucking awesome. But if you're not, take two weeks, take a sabbatical, go live in the jungle somewhere and, you know, go canoe up river and fish for your food and figure shit out. Yeah. I wish I, I always say, I wish people could, uh, I always wish that more people could travel so they could, the kids experience right. other cultures and experience other things and see things from a different POV. Because if you did that, you would probably be more people, especially people here in America would probably be more appreciative of what we have. Cause I think a lot of 100%. Americans are, are, are just spoiled, you know, like yeah, uh, you know, they want, they want instant gratification. You know, they want the, the new car and, you know, the, the best clothes. And, you know, they don't realize that if you save your money, you can actually do these things and you can go see the world for a little bit. Yeah. You have a job that, you know, where you can only take so much time off, but build that up and save that money. And you can see these different things. The problem is, is as a society, we get so broken down because we aren't seeing that we look for these instant gratification things and, you know, just, just to make us feel good every day. And we get stuck in that cycle. And then next thing you know, you know, these dreams that you always thought about your whole life, you can't do them anymore because you were so focused on the instant gratification in order to get by every day. And that's not wrong. That's, you know, that's a product of the shit that society does to us. That shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Just look at it. Like, um, when anything bad happens in the world outside of America, like especially you'll see it on social media, it's always like thoughts and prayers, you know, I wish them well or whatever. And then like when COVID first started happening, everybody here was like, oh, it's over there. It's not, you know, not going to affect us. <laughs> yeah. And then it came here and then people started getting scared. They're like, oh, shit, am I going to die? You know, like uh, what's what's going to happen? Like and then the whole toilet paper shortage. I mean, and people were like, fucking act like animals. And I can only imagine how people here would be if there was like a food shortage, which they're, you know, they're trying to give us doom and gloom of that now. But right. it's just like other people in other countries deal with that every fucking day. And then when every it day. affects you, then it's a problem. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we go to the store and sometimes there's certain shit on the shelf. Sometimes there's not, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Most of the stuff here is grown organically in a you know, somebody's backyard or a small field or whatever. And that's how it works. And it's much better that way anyway, because then you're not worried about industrialization, fucking things up and trade networks and transportation and gas prices. Your shit's right here. And that's just how it is. And if people want to change that, I mean, the only way to do it is plant a fucking garden and, you know, be fine with wiping your ass with your old t-shirts and everything <laughs> will be all right. Yeah. I think uh, like even the hardest person, like if you would look at like a David Goggins or Jocko or 
you know, whoever. Liver King. Yeah, like whatever. Name a person. Yeah. They're soft to some degree because they go to a store and pick something up. They're not foraging for their own food more than likely. So it's just right. like, you know, cut some of the shit where you're like this tough guy or this alpha male bullshit. And just, you know, I think if we if we all had to source our own stuff, we'd be more appreciative of the stuff we're eating. I'd be dead. Yep. 100%. I think that's the case for sure. Well, I, I remember someone, uh, uh, it's been a couple of years uh, ago, said to me, like, I don't understand why, you know, people hunt, you know, for deer because they could just go to a store and get meat without killing an animal. And I was like, wait a second. Like, where does the meat at the store come from? <laughs> like, well, the, the, the meat man brings it. And I'm like, no, that is like that. But prior to that, what happens? And they, they didn't know. And I'm like, no, like animals are still dying. You're just not close to it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you don't understand that that's where meat comes from. I was Jesus. blown away because like, holy shit. But, and this person was like, shoot, she was in her like early twenties. She's like, well, why don't you just go to the store and get the meat? And it's like, you know, I'm not a, a hunter, but like, I don't even know how the conversation came up, but I was just blown away by the fact that she was so far removed from the understanding that like there are farmers and they raise cattle and sheep and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to make these things happen for her at her supermarket. I'm just like, holy shit. So yeah, it's insane. What again, people just don't know. Yeah. There's a big disconnect sometimes from things. Yes, indeed. Which is unfortunate uh, because I think that if people understood what their day to day meant, like electric cars, okay, cool, like that's fine. Let's let's not use gas. But what about the fossil fuels it takes to make the batteries for the electric cars? Like, let's talk about that shit. Yeah, you know, like I'm not talking shit about electric cars. I think it's great. I think the concept's great. I think a lot of things. But let's not forget that you're trading one shitty thing for another shitty thing it's just a different shitty thing that's not going to affect us right away or in the same way and i have to think about like the people that are like PETA people and and those kind of things like i'm sure they're in buildings that took away some land from some animal right and i'm sure they're wearing clothing that came from some factory or something it's just like get off your high horse on everything yeah right well they're you know i I, I, you know, I'm not here to talk shit about people, but at the same time, like, I think intentions are in the right place with groups like PETA, right? They want animals to be safe and right. not harmed and all that stuff. That the, the intention of that is wonderful. Uh, the result of that maybe, or the execution of that maybe isn't so much or is bastardized from the original vision or whatever. But I feel like that happens with almost anything that's, that's good intention, right? It, it because dollars and cents, and now we need to get publicity, to get dollars and cents. And now you have this, you know, bastardized version of whatever you started with. And that, that, that generally is what it comes down to is that dollars and cents fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, us humans are funny. Um, you know, like we, we do weird things and then we think that, our way of doing it is the God way of doing it. It's like religion sometimes. Like I grew up Jehovah's Witness and we would go like door to door and you would tell people that their religion was wrong. And it's like, how are you going to tell somebody that their belief is wrong and that yours is, is right. Right. It's just like, yes. you know, like if you, it's with, if you believe it, that's fine, but you don't have to go and tell somebody that their, their way of thinking about doing something is not appropriate. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, what I've learned is there's no re- really right or wrong way of doing things. There's there's a way that works and ways that don't work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all in every country I've ever been in, in every state I've ever been in, we all want the same thing. We all want food, shelter and happiness. We all want our family safe. And that's it. Yeah. Like, that's all we really want. Some of us want different versions of that. But at the end of the day, that's all we want. If we could eliminate all the bullshit, I think most of us would. If we knew we had those things, who cares, right? And I think when it comes down to it, that's the basis of it. But the problem is it gets, you know, it gets all all bastardized. But I do look at the world, and I think Cynthia does too here, that people are inherently good in, in all ways. I think that there's just, unfortunately, some bad seeds that fuck shit up. Yeah, I say that a lot, man. Like, Dude, that's exactly, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 true. Um, yeah, it's, it's just you know, like like they always say, the what is it? The squeaky wheel makes a lot of noise, and those are the pockets right. of the people that are generally getting the most attention. Yeah, I think on 100%. average, like if we as people want to destroy each other, we could. Like you could yeah. have violence anytime you really want to, but most people right. don't want that. Most people avoid yeah. conflict. Absolutely, I think you're a hundred percent right. I mean. We are good at at destroying things. I mean, if there's anything that humans are good at, it's that. But we're also good at creating community and surviving. We've we've been here for a few years. I think we can handle being here for more, provided we don't let bullshit get in the way. Yeah, I love you brought up the the electric car thing because I saw there was a, a popular electric vehicle company, and their car caught on fire in like a uh, salvage lot or something like that. And the fire department had to come and like dig a trench around the car because the battery kept uh, com- combusting. And they were oh, like, shit. they're like, that was the only way they could put it out was by submerging it in fucking water. And it's like, an- what do you think is going to happen? Like, if, like, I had a, I used to have a Fitbit and it got recalled because something wrong with the battery. I had to send it in like a special packaging to deliver it to the company to, you know, be taken care of. Imagine on a grander scale, something that's going to drive a vehicle, how that's going to be if there's a whole bunch of them out there. Right. Like I said, there's, yeah. a, there's always some causes, you know, that come with the things that are making things better. Right. No, I, I agree. I remember sitting in a cigar lounge a couple of years ago and a dude was all pissed off that, you know, his brand new Mercedes was back in the shop for the third time in a month since he bought it. And, you know, something with the computer system and this and that. And I asked him, or I said, you know, I don't have any of those problems. And he's like, yeah, why is that? Like, really pissed me <laughs> up. But, because I drive a $10,000 Chevy Spark, and I ask for no electronics inside. Mm. And now there's no problems because I have no electronics in my car. So I don't ever have this issue. And he kind of laughed, and he's like, fuck, man, I've spent ten more than ten grand on these issues over the last month than I have you know, that then your car costs. And I'm like, well, there you go. It's, you know, for the convenience of having these luxuries, you also have the consequence of costs associated with them, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just reality. I mean, for all the great, there's always the uh, equal balance, right? And yeah. there's no way around that. Wow. So BMW is fixing a uh, release, like the new car, whenever it's coming out. All the models are going to have electric. I mean, it's going to have heated seats, but some of the models you have to pay them to take a, uh, to unlock something to let the heated seats work. 
<laughs> I'm not surprised. I was like, like microtransactions in a car now? What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's crazy because for us, when we travel, we get to the States and we get in a rental car. We're like, how the fuck do we drive this thing? <laughs> because there's even in a year and a half, there's so much new technology in the rental cars that, you know, I'm like lane correction and like all this shit. I'm like, what the hell? So, you know, if I can, I prefer older vehicles just because I'm not used to it. Like we drive a 2006, there's a fucking cassette deck still in the damn thing. Well, I think your re- your, your reaction time is going to be better than a computer anyways. Like a computer may not like there's this whole thing where they're talking about like how people had a self-driving car like drive into the fucking body of water because they didn't realize oh, or yeah. hit a hit a human, you know, like it doesn't have the real life experience like it's only it's going off cameras and sensors you know that it can be faulty i mean humans are faulty but a a piece of equipment can be faulty too right yeah it'll be interesting and i'm sure by and large you know the ai part of it'll end up being uh more spot on than what humans are because you know human error and sleep deprivation and other ridiculous shit that we have but does that mean I think it's right or wrong? Shit, I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not here to deal with it. <laughs> I always wonder, too, like, what if you have a human that wants to be one of the bad people we mentioned, and then they hack into that system, and then they want to use it for bad instead of the good that it's supposed to be doing? Mm. Oh, yeah. It'll happen. I mean, it, it, I, I can only assume that there's uh, someone with the key access to all that stuff right and uh i don't know what the government regulations are on any of it but i have a good feeling that someone there controls it because they'll want to shut things down if there's you know for the benefit of its people so Mm. like all the new cars have computers like after like was like 2008 or something like that like they all have the little reverse cameras they all have computers and like tony just said they can hack into those things they can hack into teslas already you know it's all going to be hackable Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. I I long for, well, obviously long for a simpler life. And that's why Sin and I kind of live here where it is simpler. There's not any of that shit. The technology is, you know, minimal. I mean, and and it's wonderful in so many ways. Yes, certain things take a little longer. But at the same time, there's other things that take, you know, half the time, you know, like we're talking about getting your tire fixed like that that takes 10 minutes here literally pull up get it taken care of pay your six or eight bucks get the hell out not calling for an appointment getting a rental car waiting three days returning your rental car getting your car back you know like come on so it just depends again you trade you trade one thing for another there's always something great but there's always a you know an inconvenience associated can both of you guys speak on an instance where somebody had reached out to you and said that you've changed their life and how did it make you feel when they gave you that feedback? I mean, it's hard to even wrap our heads around it. You know, it it used to happen so frequently, you know, it's such a, it's a heavy thing to carry, even though it's good. It's just like one of those, like, Whoa, like I'm, I'm just a person. Like I, I put my pants on the same way as you, you know, like what is it about me that, that, you were able to resonate with and, you know, find comfort in enough to where, you know, you feel like you can keep going with life. Like, it's just so hard to comprehend that. I mean, it feels amazing. It absolutely does feel amazing, but I don't feel any different than anybody else. 
Um, but I have to try to put that aside because regardless of how I feel, how small I feel, I did help somebody in some way. And that's all that matters. If they feel that, that is so important. And, you know, I need to remember that, that I mattered to them. And that's a huge deal. I, uh, I guess one that happened just a couple months ago is pretty crazy because, um, it's, it's proof that moments for you are a lifetime for somebody else in some ways, because my buddy of mine, Ryan, um, who I used to call my, well, I still call my travel wife because we traveled for business together all over the country often. And we were in Las Vegas doing, uh, the social media event revolving around supercars and stuff. And, uh, you know, this was like four years ago or some shit. And, um, you know, what was it? A month or so ago, we're doing my wife and, and Ryan, uh, and uh, amongst others are doing another social media event in Iowa. And this guy comes up and he says, Hey man, so I came to this event because you, changed my life like i wouldn't be here without you and i was like holy shit tell me the story tell me what's up and he had a stroke or or something along those lines his you know his speech wasn't quite on par and he walked with a walker and things like that and uh which apparently had been the case for a long time well where the story is kind of inter- these two stories intersect is he was at the event in vegas four years ago and he said that ryan and i treated him just like we treated everybody else we included him as part of the event we didn't set him aside like he was different or whatever because he had a walker because he spoke different we just included him like another one of the guys that were there and he said that it was the first time it gave him the confidence to kind of step out and start growing as a person and doing things that he didn't think he could do and he was always afraid to travel but he traveled from Vegas to Iowa to tell Ryan and I this story. And like, that's insane to me that four years ago, a guy that I sadly didn't even remember because that was 90 minutes out of this whole cross country tour, right? That was lasted 15 days from Florida to California. And like, it was 90 minutes for us, but that was an impactful life changing moment for him. And we didn't even know we did it. We just treated him like we treated everybody and built him up like he deserved and all that stuff. And here, here we are like four years later and he flew to Iowa to tell us what an impact we made. Like it was, it's insane. So it's that kind of stuff. Like how do you process that? But you know, it fills me up, makes me feel good, you know, gives us, um, uh, fulfillment, I guess, in this life to know that we're leaving it a little better than, than what we found it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Cause it's like, just, you're just living the golden rule. Basically you're treating yeah, people how you want to be treated. Yep. Simple. It yeah. is simple. Life, life isn't easy, but it is simple. That's one of the main things that I learned a long time ago. It's very simple, but it's not easy. Wow. Yeah. Like I wish more people had that mentality. Like I said, it goes back to what you guys mentioned before, too. It's like something may have happened to you, but sometimes you have to take ownership, too, of your actions also. And sometimes people are not comfortable enough to say, "Okay, I can change what 
these bad behaviors I possibly were put in me. Yep. Yeah. Responsibility, personal responsibility goes a long way. If we start taking personal responsibility for our actions, imagine where we'll be in this life and what good we can do in this life. Right. Yeah. Cause it's easy to blame. It's easy to be the victim and be like, Oh man, this person did me wrong and blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, it's not easy to be like, well, maybe I shouldn't have done this or maybe I shouldn't have let them do this to me or whatever. I mean, there's always certain circumstances where people definitely don't have control over people taking advantage of them. But right. there, there are certain, you know, issues that we probably could avoid it. Yeah, there's there's lessons in everything. And I think that's what Cynthia and I really try to kind of walk away from because we all have successes and failures and some you're not even sure which one it is. Right. But you definitely know that you can sort through it and kind of find the lesson in it. And that I think is probably the most important thing about all of what we've talked about today is like, you know, you're only as great as, as what you believe you can be. And, you know, happiness isn't an amount of money in the bank. It's not about, a you know, how many possessions you have. It's, it's about the choice you make every day and how you treat other people. That's it. Mm hmm. Yeah, because like I said, uh, the whole thing like with trauma and like um, hardships or whatever, I think those things are important because it it lets you appreciate happiness. Because like they said, there would be no rainbows without storms. You know, we need something to like, you know, like the yin and the yang, some good and bad. Because if you're constantly just living life in this fairy tale world where everything's good, you're not really probably not going to appreciate stuff as much. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, you have to appreciate the negative just as much as the positive. That's how you truly live. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of you guys' time. You guys have been fucking amazing. Yeah, this has been a really good episode. Thank you all so much for coming on. Um, so yeah. I, I love I love asking people this. Like, there's this whole movement now where they're talking about like give people their flowers, where basically you're giving people appreciation while they're alive. Because unfortunately, yeah. we as people generally think good things about people, but we don't say it until they're gone. So yeah. what's something you would say about somebody that's here that they could appreciate you saying that to them? That's that's like here living on this yeah. planet. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take the initiative and talk about my wife who's sitting right next to me because truly like, I mean, you guys heard the story. You, 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 you know, listen to, to bits and pieces of that. She's one of the strongest people that I've ever met yet one of the most empathetic and caring human beings on this planet. And usually those two things don't go hand in hand because you get hard, right? You get hardened up through the, those tough times. Yet here she sits and she loves me through my bullshit. And we all know that sitting in our own bullshit ain't easy, but she does it for me. And, you know, that takes strength and patience and, and dealing with a lot of my silliness. And, you know, I'm thankful for, for her and for what she does and the things that, you know, she, she goes through for myself and our family and Jesus for her patience. So, yeah, I'll, I'll start with that. I'll, I'll toss that to, to my wife, you know, that it's really her that keeps this family afloat. You know what I mean? So, so there you go. That, that's my two cents. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And what would be your flower, Cynthia? I don't even know. You know, like Josh has really opened my eyes to a lot of things too. You know, I always say that everything happens 
for a reason in life, you know, even if it's something negative. And, you know, Josh and I often talk about, um, you know, what would have happened if we met at 19 instead of, you know, when we did. And I'm like, well, I don't think life would be the way that it would. I don't know that we would have worked out. And, you know, even though I've gone through so much bullshit, you know, I hold Josh in such a high, bright light because, you know, I value everything that he brings to the table, you know, and it's things that I wouldn't value if I didn't go through the things that I did. And, you know, he's truly one of a kind, you know, there's no one else out there like him. And, you know, I, I value that, like, I, there is a point where I know, like, I am terrified if anything were to happen to him, because I don't know how I'd go about life if he wasn't here, because he is such a massive rock for me that I'm so thankful for. And, you know, through everything that I've been through, I'm finally at a place in life where I can just breathe and relax and, and just live life comfortably and know that I'm not going to be hurt. And I value everything that he does and everything they does for this family and everything he brings to the table and what he does for the world and for animals and everything. So he's the, he's the flowers or the flowers that I want to give to him. I should say. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Man, that's so beautiful. Both of y'all speak so highly of each other. how did you guys meet? <laughs> social media. Yeah, of course we both <laughs> deal a lot in social media. So it only makes sense that we would have met through social media, right? <laughs> Just, yeah, through, through Instagram, we, you know, there's a, we, we just started kind of talking loosely in comments and then in DMs and, and ultimately here we are, you know, years later doing, the, doing this thing. So using social media for good, you know, some people want to leave negative comments and some people want to lift people up. That's yeah. That's exactly how we do it. Like my feed isn't filled with bullshit. Like you know, people complain that it is, so you can edit that shit. And if you surround yourself with bullshit, you're fed with you're fed bullshit because the algorithm gives you what you're into. Yeah. So if you're if your feed is filled with bullshit, it's reflecting it's a mirror. You're filled with bullshit too. And that's a hard truth. But if you want to change it, start liking and following good positive stuff and that's what you get back. It's like they say your diet's not just what you consume. It's what, as far as food wise, it's what you consume mentally too. It's like what you listen to, who you're around and what you read. Like if you're, if you're only listening to bullshit, you're going to believe bullshit. You're going to think you're a shitty person. If you're around people that lift you up, it's like, do you want to be the crabs in the bucket or the monkeys in a barrel? I think I'd rather (laughs) be around monkeys in a barrel. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's well said for sure. And spot on too. So we also ask people, what's your advice for people and what mark do you want to leave in the world? I mean, I don't even know if I should even ask you all that because you're leaving a fucking huge mark (laughs) already. But (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's just about legacy for me. I I want I want because, you know, I'm my ego isn't big enough to believe that people are going to know my name more than maybe two generations after I'm dead. And, you know, if if they remember that somebody, hopefully me and, and Cynthia treated them well. And how good that felt, they passed that along to others and continue that legacy, then that's really all that matters at the end of the day. You know, just leave the world better than we found it. Mm, I like that. So that's, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't get simpler than that. Yeah, just always be kind, no matter what. Kindness always comes out on top. You know, it's like, 
we had a situation recently on an airplane where this guy was just absolutely treating us like shit. And all we were doing was just sitting down and reading our books. And he was just asking Josh if he wanted to fight and what? all this Damn. crazy. And we just remained calm and we just kept being kind. And, you know, what can you do with somebody that just continues to be kind? <laughs> it's yeah. like, he, I mean, he, he talked shit that entire flight, but, you know, and don't get me wrong. Both of us wanted to annihilate this guy. You know, Josh was like, you know, one, one little move more from this guy. And I'm sure shit would have went south, but you know, always be kind. That's a huge, huge thing. And there's not enough of it. And, you know, if we just had more kindness in this world, I feel like we'd be in a different position today as a society. Do you guys get judged by your appearance? Like, do people have preconceived ideas about who you are by the way you guys have, like, tattoos and your look? Uh, we haven't gotten it in a long time, and I don't know why. Maybe because we look scary, so people just don't. <laughs> Leave you alone, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, too, like... If if we're in an airport or some shit, you know that because that's where you have a massive mix of people, right? Mm -hmm. And then you might see it, but we're generally happy people. So we'll, if we see somebody looking at us, whether they're trying to figure us out or just staring because we look different, we we're smiling. We'll smile at them. We'll nod or say hello or whatever. So I mean, if somebody wants to try to talk shit or judge us, I'm the first to to break that bold and just go up to him and be like hey what's up i'm josh nice to meet you mm. and then they're like oh fuck now i gotta deal with this you know how am i gonna handle it yeah so, call them out on their bullshit right yeah and a lot of times you know it, it's people end up being very kind and they just have a lot of questions you know they once they feel comfortable with us they just unload a shit ton of questions like about our life and the way we look and you know there's so many times when people are like oh man i wish i could have that many tattoos and just live my life the way you guys do but oh man my job or this or that or i don't want to be judged or and you know so it, it's crazy to hear that because it's like we've never cared about anything like that we just live our life and you know whatever happens happens because we're good people and we do great things and it's always worked in our favor so yeah, it's like some people want to put R on a wall and some people want to put R in their body. Who gives a fuck? You know, yeah. it's just right. like, let them do what they want to do. Like, we have two friends. One we met through the podcast. His name is Ben Corliss. He's like tattooed from head to toe. And then he's such a sweet person, like once you talk to him. And then we have a friend in, in, in real life, uh, Jared, and he's like super tattooed up. But like, if you looked at him and you were like an ignorant person, you would think that they're you know, the stereotypical person you see in a movie that's like a bad guy or whatever. Right. But then you sit there and you talk to them, you're like, oh, no, they're very nice people. Like, you got to treat people case by case. And then you have 100%. to realize that sometimes somebody made, like we talked about earlier, are a certain ways because of how they were treated. Yep. Yep. And, and you get assholes, you know, of every walk of life, and that's just the way it is, too. So, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's just part of that journey, I guess, that we all have to endure it. Social uh, stigmas are that for a reason, and it's because, by and large, at least for a time, certain things were believed because of consistent reinforcement. But you know, that's uh, again with the uh, advent of social media, you don't see that as much anymore. Simply because you get a broader view of life every day. It's mm -hmm. not just like the small pocket you're seeing every, you know, every afternoon when you get off work and go to the local watering hole. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome, man. You guys are very uh, inspirational and positive people. And I think we need more people like you in this world. And I appreciate everything you've told us today because, like I said, I, I came into it just thinking it was about cigars. I didn't do any research on you guys, unfortunately, before, but you guys have a very broad and beautiful story. Oh, and thank you. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, where can people find you guys online and your products? Um, you can find um, me at joshuacoburn.com. You can find all social media and other things there and links to uh, dissonant cigars and all that stuff. Um, or just search Joshua Coburn or Google Sin Coburn. Uh, you'll find all that stuff there. Um, Dissident Cigars is the name of the cigar company, too. So you can Google that. You can find it in lounges everywhere. People ship online, or you can go into your local lounge and request us if we're not there. So honestly, it's just simplest to tell people to Google us because you'll find all our social media and all our websites and all that stuff that way. I think we're going to let's order some cigars and then bring them down to uh, Columbia with us. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll do it right now. Get on that, please. Get yes, sir. <laughs> awesome. All right. I appreciate you guys. Like I said, Thank you it's, so much. it's been great, man. I, I Hopefully, maybe one day we could talk again. Because like I said, you guys have a very beautiful story. And you're just beautiful people in general. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. And I hope you guys have a very good rest of the day. Oh, and thank you for answering his DM. Because like I said, I don't really think about that when I tell him. I was like, you just message people or whatever. Because we had one lady on here, and she's a bodybuilder. And she's got a pretty big following. And she's like, I really don't check my DMs because you know, there's a lot of creepy people out there that like send dick pics or whatever fucking weirdos do. <laughs> right, right. And uh, she's like, I just happened to see his message say, hey, my buddy and I have. And like, I'm glad she didn't assume it was something fucking creepy. <laughs> but like, you know, that you guys answered it is very, we appreciate that because it, you know, you took your time out of your day to, you know, one, to answer the message and then to agree to do this and doing it yeah. now. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, our pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having us on and giving a shit about what we do. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you all so much. Well, have a very good rest of the day. I appreciate you. You yep. too. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Later.